Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. During the announcements, our preacher for this morning is my uh, friend, Pastor Urban Lopez of the Central Florida Wesley Foundation. He'll be sharing the message that God has placed on his heart. So please join me as we give a big Asbury welcome to Pastor Irwin. Thank you very much. It is an honor to be here with each and every single one of you, and it's always nice to be back to a place where you're invited. So it's nice to see you. You guys doing okay this morning? Good? I'm excited to be with you, and I always got to make sure that I say thank you so much to your church because your church is one of the biggest supporters of our ministry at UCF. Financially, you guys have supported us really more than any other church, although this last year one church came in really crucial, Um, but both of these churches have been crucial to our ministry, and we really couldn't do ministry without you. So thank you so much for your support. Um, And I like to also think, as Pastor um, Will shared, that we also support Asbury. Uh, by sending interns here, and we've had about eight to ten interns since um, I've been the director there, and it's been really a great relationship, and so it's really an honor to preach to you all today. Amen? Amen. Um, <clears throat> I got the cobwebs all out in the first service, so I'm feeling a little better, but I was a little nervous to preach the message because I've been growing in my faith, and I've been studying the scriptures, and I've been seeing the scripture in a new light. I had a pastor who shared with me, my, my home pastor, he said after 20 years of ministry, he feels like he's just opening up the scriptures. Like he's just learning, just like a white belt. But lately for me in this stage of my ministry, I've been seeing the same theme over and over and over again. I've been seeing the message of Jesus in a new light. And I'm excited to share it with the church. And as we move forward as a denomination. Amen? And and part of this vision that I have for the church, it truly has been inspired by one of my favorite saints. And when I say saints, I mean just a hero of the faith. Um, Because when Christianity gets confusing or when the witness of Christians can get discouraging, I really encourage you to look at the saints. Look at the heroes of the faith. And... Think about the way that they represent Christianity. So who are your heroes of faith? And what are the characteristics? And what are their visions of what it means to be a Christian? How do they live that out in the world? Well, for me, one of the saints that I look up to is Martin Luther King. Ever since I was in seminary, I've been studying his vision, and he really saved me. He really inspired me um, as a pastor and as a Christian leader. And I always say, like, um, because he was Baptist. You know, he was a Baptist preacher. Everybody know that? And I say, if there was hope for the Baptist, there's hope for the Methodist, you know? <laughs> I say that in jest. I'm sure there's some Baptists here. Um, but Martin Luther King, he had this goal 
this vision. And it was something called the beloved community. And there's this Greek word that we have in our scriptures, it's called telos. And the word telos means the goal, the purpose, the aim to which our entire message strives towards. And for Martin Luther King, he talks about how his telos, his end, his purpose, even of the boycotts and the Christian leadership team that he established, was the beloved community. And I've been preaching this message at Wesley and it's really been impacting our ministry and has really opened us up to more people. But I wanna just give you the textbook definition of the beloved community. And it says this, Dr. King's beloved community is a global vision. I would also add there a Christian vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Amen. Amen? Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood and everything in between. And I love that vision, and it's really changed our ministry at, at UCF. One of the things that it's done is actually connected us with students who are experiencing homelessness. There's about 60 to 80 students who are experiencing homelessness every single year at the University of Central Florida. And I've been there for about 10 years, and for whatever reason, it's been hard to find out who they are. But as our church has preached this message of being all-inclusive, of making sure we're a place where all college students feel safe, and that they, all college students know they can come to the Wesley Foundation and receive support, financial, spiritual, communal. What it has done is that it's developed this relationship with the university where now when college students go to student services, the first place that they, they send them to is the Wesley Foundation. And so we receive these phone calls from students, from student services, and we're in touch with really the pain, we're in touch. We're no longer distance from what's really going on in the world, what's really going on in the life of college students. And I'm very, I'm very, I'm sad, but I'm very proud that our ministry has developed into a place where all people feel safe. Amen? Amen. And I share this because this has opened up not only the opportunity to help more people, but it also has given us the opportunity to be the first ever campus ministry to be invited to lease a permanent space on campus. And this has been 10 years in the making. 10 years in the making. And so next week, I'm supposed to sign a lease that I'm very scared to sign because <laughs> it means we have to fundraise now. Um, but we will be the first ever campus ministry at the University of Central Florida. And that, that's a big deal. I feel like that's a big deal, and I share that as good news, you know? I share that as good news. We can't do it without your support, and we weren't able to do it without your support. And I feel like a lot of the reasons why God is blessing us is because of this vision of the beloved community that I want to share with you all today. But before we get into the scriptures, and before we talk more about the beloved community, I want to share with you why I believe it's important to have this all-inclusive vision of where 
these different communities come together to support one another and to make sure that we do our best to end homelessness. The first reason why I feel like this is important is because it takes a village. It takes a village. You've heard this before. For example, just recently I was preaching at a local church, and in that same block, there's like 10 churches, you know? And it's in a community that is in need. And the vision of the beloved community would ask, how can all these churches come together? And not only these churches, but how can even different people of different faith groups come together to strategically plan short-term and long-term on how we can support the community around us? And so it takes a village. One church can't do it on its own. We need help. Amen? So that's why I feel like it's important. The other reason I feel like it's important is because our children need this vision. I have a seven-year-old and I have a three-year-old. And Martin Luther King says that Sunday morning can be the most segregated hour in America. And so for me, I've thought about how the church sometimes, and I love the church, and I say this with a lot of love, the church sometimes can be the introduction to segregation for our children. If you think about it, when we go to Publix, it's integrated. When my son goes to school, it's integrated. But the church can be the introduction to segregation. So our children need a place. They need to see people who are different, who, who maybe even have different cultures and different faith backgrounds, coming together, willingly coming together to help those in need. Our children need it. Amen? And the third reason I think this vision is important is because it changes our theology of hospitality. For a long time, at the Wesley Foundation and even the churches that I have led, we offered hospitality to those who were interested in being a Christian. And now our theology has changed and we offer hospitality because we're a Christian. Because we're a Christian. And that's changed the way that people have viewed church and the Wesley Foundation. That's the telos, the beloved community. And as I read the scriptures, I'm seeing this everywhere. I feel like Jesus says this over and over and over again to the point where my wife is like, all right, we get the message. You're literally preaching the same message every time. And I say, don't blame me, blame Jesus. Because it's Jesus saying the same thing over and over and over again. So let's go into Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And it says this. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. 
Now, when I first read this scripture, I immediately connected the story with the story of college students. And I specifically, because of that, 18 years. Most of the students that I deal with are 18 years old, between the ages of 18 and 22 or so. And it was interesting to me that this woman had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Now, when we know historically that this idea of being crippled by a spirit also translated being crippled by a demon, we know that during the biblical times, there were very strange things happening. Some people would even call it some things that appear to be like magic, some very strange things happening. And if you've ever traveled to Latin America, or for example, I've traveled to Haiti, there's some strange things happening with religions, and there was this, this just, just to know there were strange things happening, right? But I believe that when we dig into the Greek, we can really find out what it means to be crippled by a spirit, and it gives us a new perspective. For example, in Greek, the word crippled literally means that she was weak, frail, sick even. Not only of the body, but of the soul. Okay, well, why was she weak? Well, because of the spirit. In Greek, the word spirit means the disposition or influence which fills or governs the soul of one's body, the efficient source of any power, affection, emotion, or desire. And so you can begin to see the connection, begin to see the scripture develop in a new way. This woman, there was something, there was some kind of power, some kind of emotion, some kind of idea, some kind of experience that made her weak not only of body, but of soul, right? And so I thought about our college students, I thought about you, and I, and I thought about the idea that there could possibly be something that we have experienced. There could possibly be some ideas or some kind of worldviews, or there's just something that could be crippling us, making us weak of body and soul. And so my goal, and I'm sure the goal of anybody who's dealt with somebody who's been in this stage is that they would stand up, right? In Greek, the word stand up means, so the phrase stand up means to raise or lift oneself up, one's body, one's soul. And I love that because the good news of Jesus Christ, the healing touch of Jesus can heal you like this, amen? And that's my goal for you. I want you to stand up. I want you to feel confident. I want you to experience that strength and the ability to overcome obstacles and the ability to flourish. Don't we all want that for everybody in our lives, this ability to strength, and not to be crippled by spirits, not to be crippled by ideas? So then I began to ask myself the question, what is causing her this despair? What is causing her this inner pain? Well, I don't think there's just one answer to that. Just as there's not one answer to what could be causing us to feel this way. We know that it could be nature or nurture. We know that really everything impacts us. Experiences, culture, family, music, our country, our surroundings, our friends. It all plays a role in our spirit. So what is it that made her this way? Well, you could take the sermon to 10 different directions. 
But for me, I really like what Cynthia Burgo says. She's a, a writer, and she says that Jesus' stories teach us not only something about the people and not only something about God, but it teaches us something about the world around her, about the mindset of the people around her. And so for me, I want you to go with me to this place. I believe that what was crippling her was the worldview of the people around her. Because I understand that Jesus is Jesus. He has the power to touch you and heal you. But what if what this woman just needed was somebody to embrace her? Somebody to welcome her? Somebody to help her feel like she belonged? What if that's all she needed? Not a doctor, but just somebody to embrace her. What if it was the worldview of the people around her that were crippling her? Because the worldview of the people around her said, we should not touch a woman like this. The law of the people around her said, you should not cross the line and welcome somebody like this. Avoid people like this. So what if what this woman needed was someone to have the ability and the strength and the courage to move beyond the letter of the law, beyond the worldviews that surrounded her, and maybe even the worldviews that influenced them. What if all she needed was somebody with a different worldview? Amen? Well, this is important, brothers and sisters. The scripture is important because, number one, it shows us the crippling worldview of the people around her. And we know that there are some worldviews that create division, that create racism and judgment, that build shame, that lead to burnout. We know that there are crippling worldviews. And so I tell that to my college students, and I tell that to the church. Be careful what you learn in school. Be careful what you learn in church. May it not lead to shame. May it not lead for you to judge people. May it not lead you to a crippling place. But worse than that, may it not lead you to a place where you're crippling others. Because the message of Jesus Christ leads to grace and forgiveness and belonging and acceptance and love. As Paul says, the telos is love. So that's what we can learn, that the crippling worldview of the people around her. And what's interesting, and I tell this to my college students, that it is often the most educated and the most religious that have held these crippling worldviews. And so I tell my college students, only 30% of our nation, about 30 to 40%, graduate with a bachelor's degree. But sometimes the more educated you are, the more money you make, the more separated you are from the pain of the world, from what's really going on. The second thing that I feel like we can learn from the scripture is the power of religious thought. We can never underestimate the power of religious thought. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus mostly challenged the religious leaders because religious thought played a significant role in their time and it plays a significant role in our time. It created our country. It is possibly the main thought in your household. Religious thought has the power to start wars and to stop wars. 
So never underestimate the power of religious thought. This is something that I remind myself on days where I'm feeling discouraged or on days where I'm feeling like nobody's listening. Of course they are. We're a Christian nation, and religious thought has dominated our homes. So never underestimate the power of religious thought. And the third thing that we can learn from this is that there weren't many people who were preaching this message. It was just Jesus. I love how the religious leaders, they said, she should be healed on another day. Well, they weren't healing her on any other day. She had been crippled by that spirit for 18 years. And so not many people are preaching this message. So I say to the church and I say to the college students, be careful what we learn and be careful what we teach. Amen? I want to share this quote with you as a, a tool, a filter, for you to discern how we can love people and how we can create the beloved community. Because if you ever find yourself defending a law that separates you from people, you may be on the side of the spirit that played a role in their crippling. So think about that. Brothers and sisters, I share with you that the goal of this message is for you to stand up. Amen? And the goal of this message is for the church to be a place where others can stand up and flourish. And so I pray that this is good news at the end of the day. Because for me, it's not good news unless it's good news for everybody. Right? And so I want to share with you this, um, this little video that my sister showed me. And my sister's always showing me a bunch of videos, but this one just captured my attention. But before I share with you, I have to share with you a, little, a crazy theory that I have. All right, is that okay? It'll be short, it'll be short. I actually got this from a very reliable source, TikTok, okay? Um, but it's this comedian, and he shares this. This is my best comedian impression, so bear with me. He says, we're all just floating molecules. <laughs> He says, life doesn't make any sense. You're on a planet right now. You think you're in America? Zoom out. <laughs> you're on a space rock floating in nothingness, infinite nothingness. And that infinite nothingness is expanding. That means endlessness is getting bigger. That makes no sense. Life makes no sense, and we just act like it's normal. So I find that pretty funny, and, and this, this idea that if we were just a bunch of floating molecules in the world, if God truly is endlessness, and if God truly is way bigger than we can ever imagine in terms of wisdom and truth, for me, the logic is that humans are to God what animals are to humans. Y'all with me? So we can learn a lot from the animal kingdom. It gives us a glimpse into the world. And so this is why Jesus, I believe, uses animal kingdom metaphors. We see it when Jesus talks about heaven. He talks about the, the lion laying down with the ox. We see it when Jesus uses parables where he talks about sheep. We see this animal kingdom analogy happening over and over and over again. I feel like we've got to give animals a little bit more credit, especially mice, you know. They help find a bunch of, you know, cures of diseases. So when I think about the animal kingdom, when I think about the analogies, I feel like 
God loves every single one of them. He loves the zebra, the giraffe, even spiders, right? And they're all unique. And he's not trying to make the zebra a giraffe, and he's not trying to, to do all that. He, he loves them all. But this little video that I found, I feel like summarizes the message and the goal of the beloved community. So check this little video out and see if you can make the connection. We knew that he was different, and I just wanted to save him. Hi, Sunny. I'm Sarah, and this is Sunny's story for GeoBeats. I went to Tractor Supply, and that's when I saw Sunny over in a corner by himself. He had a little poop on his head, and I just could not leave the store without him. We had a whole flock of ducks at that time. Ducklings normally group together and huddle together, but they would always leave Sonny out, and he would always be in a corner by himself. He didn't throw it all for two weeks. Then we started noticing that he was sounding wheezy and his eye was watering. Took him to the vet and found out he had an upper respiratory infection. He had to be on oral antibiotics for two weeks. Finally, he started growing like the other ducks. The crest on his head is actually a genetic mutation. We spent a lot of special time with him. Okay, Gabby, that's enough. I would tuck him in my shirt and let him take naps and just take him everywhere with me. Later, we found out he is completely blind in his left eye. He would run into things. He would swim in circles. Good job. You would reach for another duck to pick him up, they would run, but he wouldn't really see you coming. Either that or he didn't mind being picked up. He does have some sight in his right eye, so that's why he always tilts his head to be able to see. Our animals, I think they all know that Sunny's special. What are you two doing? Sunny sleeping? <laughs> They let him eat their food. They can tell that he's not a threat and they just kind of let him do his thing. He gets along with all of them really well. You can't get to your water, Sunny. There's a cat in the way. <laughs> him sunny because he is just a little ray of sunshine to everyone who meets him. Isn't that video cute? When my sister showed it to me, I felt like I needed to show it to the church because there's a couple things I hope you, you were able to gather from that. The first thing that stuck out to me is, isn't it amazing that the other ducks didn't accept him? I don't know if you caught that. The other ducks didn't accept him. His very own people. The second thing that I found was interesting, and I talked about a little bit this idea of it takes a village, is that once that little duckling found its community, it stood right up. 
I feel like it was healed, body and soul. And so for me, I pray that the Wesley Foundation that I lead, I pray that the churches can be this kind of community where we welcome everybody, love everybody, help them flourish, even if they're different, even if they think different, even if they do different. We all need a place like this. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, I pray for this vision of being a beloved community, this Christian vision that looks out into the world and sees everybody as a child of God. Lord, I pray for the church as we move into a new season, Lord, as we continue to discern the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would work in the hearts of our leaders, that you would work on the hearts of this community, and that you would help us for the sake of human decency, for the sake of love, make sure that we are doing everything we can to eradicate homelessness, despair, poverty, and honestly, Lord, evil in every way it presents itself. And I pray for this vision of the church, this vision at the University of Central Florida, and let us truly spread the word of God in word and in deed, Lord. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.